Well, good morning. I'm Michael Flake, one of the pastors here. Great to be together as a church family this morning. Whether you're cautious about Jesus, curious about Jesus, or committed to Jesus, there's room for you here at Lake Forest Davidson. This is a safe place to learn, to grow, and to change. So long as you don't have it all together, you'll fit right in. Happy Memorial Day weekend to you and your loved ones. Thank you for all who have served in any branch of our armed services. I hope you enjoy this Memorial Day weekend. As the state of North Carolina, don't know where you're watching from, but if you're in the state of North Carolina, we have moved into phase two of the lifting of the COVID-19 restrictions. And so uh, as a church, this past week, we uh, solidified some guidelines for in-person gatherings during phase two. We anticipate that there will be some in-person gatherings during phase two. They're not mandatory by any stretch of the imagination, but so that we kind of have some careful thought that's gone into those gatherings and also so that we can open the door to such gatherings, we've put together some, some guidelines for phase two in-person gatherings uh, for the church. So all the things you hear, for instance, uh, kids camp, uh, and all other things we do will will be within those guidelines. A lot of careful thought on the front end means we can do great ministry in the in the moment. The piece about phase two you should be aware of, at least for religious activities in North Carolina, is that there is no cap on the actual attendance of the event. The state did not put an actual cap on a religious activity. So our attendance during phase two will be capped by the six-foot rule, the ability to keep... Uh, proper distancing between uh, participants. So just keep that in mind. We also did learn uh, recently this past week from Davidson K-8 that they, like all CMS schools, will be closed this summer. And so though we could be together <laughs> today, we don't have any place to do it. And so we have reached out to some 15 organizations here in Davidson asking if they'd be willing to open their doors to us. And while a number have said uh, no, no, thank you. Uh, some are saying uh, yes or let us think about it. We, we would seriously like to say yes to you. Let us do some due diligence. And so keep an ear out over these next, uh, these next few days, maybe even as long as a week, as we try to run those leads down and sort of figure out a going forward strategy, whether we'll meet in smaller clusters and homes to watch this live stream together, or whether we will try to do some kind of a Sunday morning um, gathering in, in a non-DK8 space. No matter what, we'll leave this live stream on for the foreseeable future, so you'll always have that option. We just want you to be aware, we, we are trying to pursue these leads, be wise, and uh, and uh, move forward as the Spirit would, uh, would have us be together. So that's kind of where we are. But today, uh, we got a sermon, so I'm going to do that. So growing up, the uh, the Flake boys played a lot of baseball. Uh, my brother especially, he was very good at baseball. And at least in Memphis, before each inning, you'd get to throw warm-up pitches. The pitcher would go throw warm-up pitches. And then the very last warm-up pitch, you would yell, coming down. Do they still do this? You'd yell, coming down. And that meant the catcher was going to get to practice throwing the ball to second base like you're trying to simulate tagging out of a runner who's trying to steal second base. So my brother was a catcher, he uh, and so coming down, he would throw it, you know, the practice. Well, the other catcher on his team was named Brent, and Brent was smaller than my brother, and so when it was his turn to be the catcher, you'd go coming down, 
and then Brent would catch it, and then he with all his might would throw it to try to get it to second base. And invariably, every time he let go of the ball, as soon as it happened, his father from the stands would yell, Throw the ball, Brent! Every time. So Brent would try harder to throw it, and he'd throw it harder and harder. And by the end, Brent's throwing it over the second baseman's head because he's going to show his dad he can get the ball to second base. Throw the ball, Brent! Brent could have thrown it over the outfield fence, and he would have still yelled that. <laughs> and and in, in the end, it actually became sort of uh, uh, unhelpful because when you're trying to throw a runner out at second base, it's not just the strength to throw the ball as far as possible. It's actually a different kind of strength. It's a strength so strong you can control where it goes because you're trying to hit someone's glove right here so they can make a tag. And so that's kind of what we're talking about today, the difference between strength for its own strength, strength for its own sake, but, and strength that is so strong it can be controlled. Landry read earlier uh, from Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit, which says this, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We continue this series on the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That when you come to follow Jesus, or if in the future you ever do come, or today or sometime in the future you come to follow Jesus, when that happens, Jesus sends God the Holy Spirit into your life. And the Holy Spirit empowers you with a different kind of power, a dynamite-like power. And the Holy Spirit begins to redirect the purpose of our lives. He makes us into witnesses to Jesus, ministers for Jesus, ambassadors for Jesus. The Holy Spirit is transforming us, empowering us to live lives that point people towards God. And one of the chief ways that the Holy Spirit does this is that he transforms our character. He transforms your character. He transforms my character as a follower of Jesus. He transforms us to have more Jesus Christ-like character. And how the Bible describes that is the fruit of the Spirit. So fruit implies cultivation. Fruit implies that there's a partnership here. It's not an equal partnership, as I keep reiterating. We have our part to play. God, the Holy Spirit, has his part to play. But there is a partnership. We both have a role to play in the cultivation of this Jesus Christ-like character. That's different than God's forgiveness, which is not a partnership. It is a gift that we receive through faith in Jesus Christ. And when we receive the gift, the Holy Spirit is sent into our lives, and that's where the partnership begins, cultivating Jesus Christ-like character as the Spirit empowers us in this new direction, living lives that point people to God. So today we want to look at two of the fruit of the Spirit. We figured if I didn't do two at least one week, this series would go on to, from here to the end of the year. So today we want to look at gentleness and kindness. Gentleness and kindness. The other reason I put these two together is they kind of make sense together. Because it is possible to misunderstand what gentleness and kindness mean. It is possible for us to confuse those as signs of weakness. And it would be possible to confuse their opposites as signs of strength. It's not uncommon to hear someone say, well, they yell at people all the time. He or she must be a really strong leader. Well, maybe. <laughs> or maybe they can't keep their people in order. 
And the scripture is teaching us that there is strength in gentleness. The Bible says that there is a strength in kindness. In fact, it's a strength so strong that it can be controlled. It's not just strong, it's strong enough to be controlled. So strong that you can be gentle. So strong that you can be kind. Gentleness and kindness, this part of the fruit of the Spirit, grows out of a deep confidence in God's love for you. This is growing out of a deep confidence in God's love for you that you can be gentle, that you can be kind, that you don't have anything to prove. So how would we define gentleness? I would define gentleness as a humble heart. Gentleness is a humble heart, a deep confidence in Jesus' love for me. And in fact, this deep love, confidence in Jesus' love for me displaces me from being at the center of the universe. Gentleness is that, that, that thing that grows out of realizing God's at the center of the universe, not me. And in fact, I'm not even at the center of my own universe. Jesus is at the center of my universe. I've been displaced, and that has made me humble. Humble does not mean uh, that I think too lowly of myself. Humble means I have a proper view of myself. I realize that I am important to God. I am deeply loved by God at great sacrifice to himself. I'm deeply loved by God, but I'm not God. And the God's at the center of the universe. Jesus is at the center of my universe. The Spirit is empowering me to live a different kind of way. So the opposite of gentleness is to be self-absorbed, that everything's all about me. I always have something to prove. I always have a chip on my shoulder. It's all about me. And we can confuse gentleness, or gentleness can be counterfeited as inferiority. That's like the wrong kind of humility, where, where I don't, act, and it's not actually sort of humility, it's kind of a, it's a view that I'm not really worthy of anything. I don't have any real value. And so I come across as gentle, but really I'm just sort of defeated. That's not what gentleness is. Gentleness grows out of a deep confidence in Jesus' love for me. Kindness, uh, I would define as serving others practically. Kindness is serving others practically. It's in fact very similar to love as Holly described that two weeks ago so well. So kindness is serving others practically. The opposite of it is envy or resentment. I resent your joy. I resent that I have to serve you. You should be serving me. You've got it so much better than I do. And sometimes the counterfeit or the conf we confuse kindness with manipulative good deeds with things we do to be congratulated or things we do to earn God's love or things we do to earn the love of other people. But kindness is a serving others practically, not for what we would necessarily get out of it, not for everyone to clap for us or prove to God he's lucky to have us on his team, but serving others out of a gentle, a humble heart. You do see how these two work together, right? Gentleness leads me to a humility in my heart, a changed heart, a heart that makes me more eager to build others up because I don't have anything to prove. God loves me deeply. And I live out of that confidence. It doesn't make me overconfident. It makes me humble, a right view, a right confidence in myself, a right view of myself. 
And out of that changed heart, I'm more eager to serve others, to build others up, to show others kindness, to serve others in the midst of that. So we turn to the scripture now and look at some different verses around gentleness and kindness. I don't have this one on the screen, but, but you could definitely uh, look it up. Deuteronomy 28, not the word you want to get in the Bible spelling bee. Deuteronomy 28 describes gentleness as being a virtue for both men and women. Gentleness is a virtue for both men and women in Deuteronomy 28. And then Proverbs 25:15 says this, Through patience a ruler can be persuaded, and a gentle tongue can break a bone. I love the Proverbs. Through patience a ruler can be persuaded, and a gentle tongue can break a bone. Proverbs here is emphasizing the strength of gentleness, the power of gentleness. That, that we might confuse gentleness for weakness, but in fact, gentleness has the power to change people. Gentleness has the power, Proverbs says, to break a bone. A gentle tongue, a gentle word, patience with a ruler can be persuasive, can be powerful. We see kindness described this way in Acts fourteen seventeen. The early apostles said this, that he, God, he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. So the early followers of Jesus were saying to others, look around you. Look at all the practical ways that God has served you. And even if you want nothing to do with God, even if you pay God no attention, even if you're still convinced you're at the center of the universe, or at least your universe, if you're still convinced of that, God still shows us kindness. God still practically serves us by sending the rain, a lot of rain, in fact, sending the rain, uh, giving us food to eat, filling our hearts with joy, giving us things that inspire us, that, that cause us to love life. When you think about the number of things that you and I, I, I sort of feel like uh, somebody who comes home every day and finds a $100 bill in their mailbox. This doesn't happen to me, though it could, though it could. But I sort of feel like someone who comes home every day and finds a $100 bill in their mailbox. And the first one, two, three, four times I have, it's like, wow, this is amazing. I wonder who's doing that. And somewhere around time six, seven, eight, nine, ten, you start to say, of course there's going to be a $100 bill in my mailbox. That's what always happens. We sort of lose sight of the wonder or the gifts or the blessings that are in our lives because we become familiar to them. And I think the same thing is true of God's kindness to us. We sort of become familiar to God's kindness to us. Oh, that's just how the world always is. And yet the apostles remind us, look around, look around, look around, look at the kindness God shows each of us day in and day out, practically serving needs, even the needs we don't know we have. Romans 2.4 asks this question. Do you show contempt for the riches of God's kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Do you show contempt for the riches of God's kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Again, what's this verse emphasizing? 
the strength of kindness, the power of kindness, that kindness has the power to change people, that in fact God has all these ways that he could change you, he could change me, but God calls us out of his kindness. The verse says that God is calling us to repentance. God is calling us to come to him. God is calling us to be made new, to be transformed. God is calling us to that, and he's calling us there with kindness. He's not calling us there by sort of a turn or burn method. He, he's not calling us there by taking away everything and everybody we love until we're just totally destitute. He's calling us there out of his kindness. The all-powerful God, the creator of everything, shows his power through kindness. And he's calling you home. He's called me home through that kindness. And how do we see God's kindness to us most clearly? We can look at the rain. We can look at the uh, people in our lives who make us love life. We can look at the food he provides us. But how do we see God's kindness most clearly? Jesus, they all said, always a safe guess at church. In this series, it's often been the Holy Spirit has been the answer, but not that time. It was Jesus. Jesus. Ephesians 2, 6 and 7 says, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages we might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. The incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And so kindness does not mean that you can't be firm. Kindness does not mean that you cannot be truthful. Gentleness does not mean you can't be firm or that you can't be gentle. I mean, you can't be gentleness. Uh, gentleness does. Let me try that sentence over again <laughs> so that it actually makes sense. Gentleness doesn't mean that you can't be firm, and gentleness doesn't mean that you can't be truthful, right? Jesus was both of those things, and he was both of those things perfectly. He taught firmly and truthfully that we need to be reconciled to God. He taught that our efforts would not be sufficient to that, to do that, that in fact we need to come to trust him that Jesus can bridge the gulf we could never bridge ourselves. Jesus can be the bridge that reconciles us to God. Jesus can open the door to God's family that we could never open ourselves. And in fact, he has opened it and he has flung it wide open. God does not want you to be estranged from him. That's not what you were made for. That's not what you need. And so God has shown us what he is truly like by coming to earth as Jesus Christ. He lived he suffered, he died, and never forget this part, he resurrected. And in doing so, he invites you, he invites me to leave our old selves behind, our old selves who mock God, who wish God was dead, who want nothing to do with God, or who just sort of check in with God every once in a while and hopes we get enough brownie points to, to one day uh, you know, make it in or something like that. He's called us to something new, raising us up into a new life as someone who's been made new. And so Jesus says it this way in Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke. A yoke is a thing that like joins two critters together when they're trying to <laughs> carry something. 
like two cows or whatever. Take my yoke upon you. In other words, be joined to me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Jesus' invitation is for you and I to be joined with him. Be joined together with him. And he doesn't say that in the words of a furious taskmaster. Not angry at you for all the ways you've failed. They are the words of a God whose kindness leads us to repentance. If you are worn out, if you are tired, if you are burned out on trying to be a good person, trying to go through the motions of being a good Christian, trying to go through the motions of religious observance, if you are worn out and tired from all that, Jesus says, come to me. And I will teach you the rhythm of grace. One writer calls, I will teach you the unforced rhythm of grace. Because Jesus is gentle and humble in heart. So to sum all this up before I move to practically what I think this means for us. What the scripture is telling us, what, what the Bible is pointing us towards, what Jesus points us towards is that when we've realized this, when we realize God's kindness to us shown in Jesus Christ, and in fact Jesus is humble in heart and gentle and is inviting us to find rest for our souls, no matter how far we have fled, no matter how, wrong, how far we have fallen, he invites us to come and find rest for our souls. And when this happens, we clear out, when we realize this, when we see this, when it finally clicks deep in our soul, we clear out of the center of our lives so that Jesus can come in. This is a gift and we receive it. And then comes the work of cultivation because our view of the world is being transformed. That God's most important and God loves me, God loves you unconditionally. And that sets us free to love and serve the people around us who God also loves unconditionally. I'm a big fan of God's unconditional love for me. Sometimes I wonder if he shouldn't put some conditions on some of these other jokers. But as I receive Jesus in, as I clear out the center of my life for Jesus, I at one time demote myself and promote myself. I have less of you that I'm in charge of the world, but more of you that I am loved unconditionally by the person who is at the center of the universe. And this allows me to love and serve the people around me in a new and a different way. In other words, God's love sets us free, free to love him and free to love others in a new and a different and a better way. Jesus invites us to become gentle and humble in heart, to be so strong that we can be kind. To be so confident in God that we are confident we can be gentle. And so Ephesians chapter 4 verse 31 32 says this, and this moves us towards the practical. The Bible spends a lot more time talking about God's kindness and Jesus' gentleness, but then it turns it to what does it mean for us? Ephesians chapter 4, get rid of all bitterness 
rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So what does it mean to cultivate kindness and gentleness in our lives? I'll tell you, the, the, this passage, this Ephesians 4 passage, uh, was actually the passage that was preached on at my brother's wedding. And it's a really cool kind of a wedding passage because the minister emphasized, be kind to one another. Practically serve one another. Be compassionate towards one another. Now that's true in a marriage relationship, but that can work in other relationships as well. A friendship, especially one that may be on the rocks or at work, that we're going, uh, something we're going through as, as work rhythms have sort of been disrupted. Be kind to one another. I had a father uh, stop me. I was around town and he stopped me and uh, we were having a, a good chat and he's part of our congregation. And he, he recognized that in this time, because their family is all, you know, watching this live stream together, that this is the, the, his kids are getting a front row seat to how he prepares or doesn't prepare for Sunday worship, how, how he engages with or doesn't engage with Sunday worship. I told him I was preaching this week, so the engaging part was going to be a little harder, but, uh, you know, you, you do what you can. I thought that was a really good insight of the front row seat people are getting right now and I think this passage tells us a different way we could give a front row seat which is to be willing to forgive each other to ask for forgiveness of each other whether in a work setting a friendships uh, a setting a, in marriage or around the neighborhood it would be possible right now to be full of bitterness rage and anger and in fact brawling we know there's some brawling happening uh, out in, the, out in the, the public. Slander. It would be possible to go that route. And in fact, in our brokenness, we do go that route. I think we can model being imperfect differently, though, to the people around us and say, if I've slighted you in how I've addressed something, if, I, if I've been unkind to you in how I've addressed something, I just need to ask for your forgiveness. That would model something that people would pay attention to and would show that following Jesus doesn't make you perfect. It makes you imperfect differently. This is true in a church family as well. As our society is trying to figure out how to love each other, uh, when we have different views and all these sorts of things. I think a church family, that's, that's like the best part about a church family. We know how to do this. We know how to love each other. We're under no illusion. We all think the same things, vote for the same people, have the same view of COVID-19 and responses to it. We're under no illusion about that. But we do know how to love each other. And I think that's what we're going to do. And that's going to be a great model to people who are watching from the outside world. They don't all agree on everything, but they know how to love each other. They know how to be kind to one another. They know how to tangibly serve each other's needs. If you're looking for something real practical to do this week, 
I might even suggest you write down the name of one person in our church and the name of one person outside of our church. And you find a way to show them kindness, to practically serve their needs, to show that even in the midst of all this, we love one another. This actually begins to flip the way we think about, for instance, our finances or our time. That, that part of what we're doing there, if I'm not the center of my universe anymore, let me learn how to practically serve the needs of others through how I use my time, through how I use my money. I once heard a preacher say that typically our, our, our calendars and our wallets are the last parts of us to convert. And I think what he was meaning by that is that's sort of the last place we hold on to, but I really need my time and money more than God does. And this flips our thinking. Kindness flips our thinking to say, how can I use what I've been given to serve practically the needs of others in Jesus' name? On Friday, I was on a, a call. This has been my wrap-up. On Friday, I was on a call with one of our mission partners, uh, Access to Success, and it was mostly the Nigerian staff of that ministry with a few folks uh, from the U.S., uh, myself, one of our elders, one of our ministry partners, two of our ministry partners, and then someone who's kind of newer to our church. It was just so fun to see how how folks in the U.S. were able to practically meet the Nigerians' needs uh, through our words and, and through our being willing to give. But the Nigerians were also practically meeting our needs by, by leading us in worshiping God and, and by pointing us towards uh, remembering God's faithfulness in all things. It's just a beautiful moment of people giving up time, giving up some money to be willing to show kindness and pract meet practical needs across the globe. That's the church. That's what Jesus is doing in this world. And we get to be a part of it. So my question to you as I wrap up would be how can you partner with the Holy Spirit in cultivating kindness and gentleness in your life. How can you be how can you partner with the Holy Spirit cultivating gentleness and kindness in your life? And don't forget the highlight that this is not us going first, that God in all his kindness gives us Jesus who is gentle and humble in heart. He offers us the opportunity to come and find rest for our souls. Let's pray together. Let me give you a chance to pray, a chance to talk to God, to listen to God about whatever He's stirring up in your heart or in your mind. Just take a quiet moment for personal prayer. Lord, you are gentle 
and you are kind. And we can almost grow numb to that. We can take that for granted. And so, Lord, I pray that it would ring true in a new way deep in our souls. That the God of all creation, the one who knit us and this entire world together, practically serves the needs that we have. Sometimes the needs we didn't even know we had. But you have served us most practically in offering us a way back to yourself. And you receive us gentle, a humble heart, arms wide open, not walking us down the list of all our failures, but instead celebrating our return. So Lord, I pray for those of us who are watching right now who are ready to return. I pray we would, with a very simple prayer, open our lives to you and invite you to be the center of our universe. Lord, I pray for all of our church family that you will make us into people of greater gentleness, greater kindness, and that in doing so, we will point the people we love, the people we work with, the people around us to the power you have to change our lives. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as Holland said, please do remember to send us your prayer request at davidsonprayer at lakeforest.org. We love praying for you. If you have any tither offering to give, you can go to lakeforest.org slash give. Or you can uh, mail your check to our church office or bring it by our church office. Send a carrier pigeon, whatever you prefer. We love you guys. Let's worship together. <laughs>